And how exactly are all of you lovely folks doing? Welcome to Joygasm, where we chat about video games, movies, and pop culture. I'm Russ, Xbox Live Toaster 360. He's Steve, Xbox Live Steveavich. And the audience is listening in episode 84. No, it's not. It's 85. 85 today on August 18th, 2018. This week's episode will be shorter than usual with us skipping gaming news and movie news and plunging into our topic of the day, which speaking of our topic of the day is the THX Deep Note, which you can fast forward to if you look at the timestamp located in the episode's details section of iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, etc. You know the drill. Otherwise, just keep listening. Steve, how you doing? Doing okay, Russ. How you doing? I'm doing fan-freaking-tastic, Steve. Seems like. It looks like you got some sleep. I actually did not. Well, I got sleep, but I was (laughs) woken up by sleep. (laughs) I didn't get any sleep. I just drank five Cokes. (laughs) I actually haven't slept in five days. No, actually, I was woken up quite early on my Saturday. Normally, I like to sleep in. No, I like to sleep in. You uh, just rest a bit longer than usual. I'm just, I'm just letting you know that I was awake about six a.m. Actually, it was probably about five forty-eight a.m. This oh, morning. that is sleeping in. You're right. Yeah. My my daughter uh, woke up and came down, and uh, apparently wanted to sleep with mommy and daddy. And so I woke up to being shoved to the edge of the bed with my wife's knee in my back. And uh, overheating, <laughs> which would be uh, the explanation for why I was dreaming like crazy. <laughs> and not to mention the fact that my lovely wife was snoring. So that was my day. But you know what, Steve? I turned lemons into lemonade because I just decided to go ahead and use one of the other bedrooms in the household. I was just about to mention that. And be able to actually watch some art tutorials while I was in that bed. <laughs> Oh, and the Hotel de Perkins. <laughs> so anyway, back to you, Steve. How have you been this past week? What have well, you been up to? Let's see, Russ. It's good to see you, Steve. You always say that, As Russ. per usual. You know, I can't contain myself. My my heart feels like it's going to burst out of its chest and oh. come out and give you a noogie. How sweet. While well, I'm in a headlock? Yeah. Exactly. That sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. Love this guy. Oh, love well, I let's see. I have to catch up a little bit because our last episode, I really didn't get to what I had watched or played or anything like that. Mm. So, a little catch up, if you will. Yeah, briefly. I on the plane to Canada. Uh, Steve, just say it right. What is it? <laughs> Canada. Canada. Fine. Jeez. Right. <sighs> you know, people are. are we, uh, go ahead. Whatever. Play on words, Russ. It's, it's just you say it every time, and I have to like wonder if people know what you're talking okay, about. Okay, whatever. Go ahead. Okay. Anyhow, so I watched uh, the movie Game Night. How is it? I did not really care for it. Okay. I mean, I know it's a dark comedy. Okay. But uh, the comedy portion wasn't very comedic. I didn't really laugh a whole lot. That I much. was kind of curious to see that, but it didn't... I don't know what the. It didn't stir me to go see it in the theater. Some of my friends saw it and they liked it, so maybe it's just not my cup of tea. Totally random thought, Steve. Is it good to see me as well? 
<laughs> I just realized this is a one-way street over here. <laughs> I don't know why. That was so funny. <laughs> it's good to see you do, Russ. Oh, okay. Does that make you feel better? Thank you. Thank you. Man. Okay, I just lost my job. I completely uh, T-boned your thought process. Oh, you know, okay, yeah, I got it. Okay, and what else I watched? I watched Annihilation. Annihilation. I'm With, not sure if I've heard of that. Uh, I believe it's Natalie Portman who's in it. Is she a soldier or something? Did, so, did it come out last year or this sorts. year? I think it came out earlier this year. Like she's looking for her husband or something to that effect? Yeah, yeah, something like that, Russ. Yeah, I'm watching what really you want me to get in the movie without spoiling it. Well, I remember seeing the trailer, I believe, mm -hmm. with you mm -hmm. when we were watching something else. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised you actually watched that. Well, I had to rent something from Netflix. So, <laughs> <laughs> and the preview made it look interesting, but I don't know. I, um, I, um, I think I'm going to pass on that one too, Russ. I still cannot believe that you actually wanted to see that. It didn't look interesting at all. It looked. Uh, Kind of peculiar. Okay. But, you know, I I wanted, I'm perked a little. Yeah. Okay. Give it a shot, Russ. Sure. So, yeah, passing that one. Now, I did get a couple different mobile games. For your iPhone or for your, what is it, Android? You have an uh, Android as well, don't uh, you? Yes, I do. Hmm. I got them for Android. Okay. Let's see. I got uh, Art of Conquest. Okay. And I got Castle, I think it's called Castle Grow or Castle Growth, something like that. Hmm. And Art of Conquest is is definitely kind of cool. Graphics are great for a mobile game. Uh, they got, you know, clear voices and nice little chimey sound effects and stuff like that. Production values are always yeah. appreciated. Yeah. High production values, that is. And so that, that game so far is good. Castle Growth was addicting at first. All you do is, like, you're... you're defending your castle that you build up and, and from all these waves of waves and waves of all these hordes of different kinds of monsters. And it's, it's basic graphic style. And I already got that. But mm -hmm. after a while, like, well, am I doing anything else? You know? Mm. So I might have to delete that one. But you know, I'm, I'm one thing that's that I found funny. Some of these games are being advertised on Facebook. Mm-hmm. You keep looking at your computer and smiling and look, looking back at me like you're watching something funny. Like you're not even like paying attention to me. I'm smiling because uh. of the story you're telling. I'm glancing down at the computadora to make sure that we're still recording. Right. Well, that's good, Russ. It's been on the fritz lately, <laughs> if you hadn't noticed. <laughs> so uh, these advertisements on oh, advertisements on Facebook for these mobile games, they're, they're kind of deceitful mm -hmm. in a way. I mean, yeah. I liked Art of Conquest, but the reason I got it was because I saw the ad on Facebook, and it it was not anything like the ad showed at like at all. Period. Hmm. Same thing with uh, Last Shelter Survival. Hmm. The way it's it's depicted is you you're building like your small defense of a shelter to defend yourself against all these waves sure. and waves of zombies and stuff. All you do in the game is like you just build and you upgrade buildings <laughs> and you more buildings and more and like like two percent of the game is actually like fighting zombies and you're like I don't know I the way they advertise it versus what you get 
totally different. But you actually bought it off of a Facebook ad that you saw. Well, no, it's well, it's a free game. It's okay. But the thing is, too, like I got to thinking about the our episode with uh, when we talk about mobile games and then uh, you know pay to play kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I got up to thinking about Bit Heroes too, because there's a there's a balance between when you buy a game and what you get versus a free game, and then you buy stuff within the free game. Mm. Bit Heroes has it where okay, you pay you know some money here, but it's like little bits of money. Sure. Some of these other games are like, oh yeah, you got the game, awesome. Thanks for getting the game. Give us twenty five bucks. Right. And like, I'm like, what in the world? This, for a mobile game? Are you serious? Right. Like, there's no way I would do that. Mm-hmm. So anyway, kind of comical. But so far, out of uh, Art of Conquest, that's uh, not bad. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you, you get these armies and stuff, and you can uh, you you start building up your castle, and you have to st- strategize a bit on how to take. Is it over like the tower other. defense in a way? No, it's or? not tower defense. No. Okay. Is it a little similar to your battle royale for uh, what's it no. called? No, uh, Clash Royale. Yeah, Clash Royale. Excuse me. Different than Clash Royale. Uh-huh. But it does have castles. But it does have castles, and it does have armies. It's sort of you well cash get yeah and you launch the armies at the opposing castle yeah well clash royale no clash of clans yes ah i mean clash royale is more like you know, okay drop a troop here and there and then hopefully you know you get like the majority of like here five you go, you know? and i'm gonna drop you right there <laughs> yeah. whoa um and then like the other day we were playing with big baby moose ah yes we play a little sea of um burglars uh-huh and we had a good time with that. We did. We did indeed. We got to try out the, the experience of the Cursed Sails. Yes. And we got with that dude who sounded exactly like McLovin. He did. You uh-huh. know what was crazy? Was like, I think you heard him before I did somehow. Because yeah. I remember you making a comment. I'm like, how on earth is Steve being able to hear this yeah. guy? He literally, it sounded totally like Everything we were playing. Everything he said. I could, yeah. I wonder if it was the same. Pro- I mean, th- everything he said and, he, and his sense of humor. Yes. The Dude. way he was saying things, his style of humor. Yeah. Like, I mean, it was a carbon copy of McLovin. Yeah. I might, you know, he befriended me on Xbox Live. I might just send him a message. Be like, you probably get told this all the time. You, you totally should. Yeah, I'm going to, I think I'll do that tonight. Um, he he sent me a message the other night or he he wanted me to get into a party mm-hmm. and I was about done. It was like midnight, 1230. I'm like, yeah. But that night, mm-hmm. check this out, Russ. I'm checking. Was this the night that I uh, signed off and then you were still playing? Different night. Okay, go ahead. I was waiting for you to sign on. You never did. Or if you did, it didn't alert me. And you weren't playing Sea of Thieves. So um, the uh, the Allegiance, you can, you, the Alliance, yep. you can. Yep. Five ships. Five ships. Five. The makings of your own fleet. Two galleons, two sloops, and a brig. My goodness. That was, must have been a sight to see. I got there, and there was already one, like an alliance made. I was like, okay, all right, well, I'll see what happens. And then they made an alliance with another sloop. And so we were just turning stuff in and finding stuff on the map. And at one point, we were stuck, and they were turning stuff in. Like, we were, you know. But you were still getting credit for it. Yeah, we were still getting credit for it. We got Man. like an Athena's chest or something like that. I was like, what in the world? And then we all fought the Skull Fort. It was Skull Fort, no problem, by the way, with five ships. Right? I was going to say, um, <laughs> just pummel the poor place. Yeah. And so then we all went back to one outpost to turn everything in. And we had just five, I should have took a picture of it. We had just five ships, all the same sails, all the same banners up top. It was awesome. It's pretty cool. My goodness. 
I wonder if it was the entire server. I got. I was thinking maybe this is the whole server. I gotta say that is actually a welcome feature in that game because for the longest time I, I just felt like it, it was too limiting when you just had say a maximum of four people who you would work with and not be able to ever have the ability or option to be able to ally yourself with other ships. And as a result, I think that that is a lot of fun just because of what you just described. Yeah. But also too, like if you have other folks who have allied themselves, you could have some epic ship battles. I mean, imagine if you came across another fleet of like five ships and you guys are just attacking each other and just blowing the crap out of each other and stuff. And I think too, even though you're allied with each other, I think you can still damage each other's ships. And I think you can yeah. actually, I know for a fact that you can accidentally shoot uh, people who you're allied with because yeah. that's what happened with us when we were taking on the cursed sales. And yeah. actually I shot McLovin and he's like, Hey, someone shot me. I'm like, Oh, sorry, bro. <laughs> that was me. Sorry, bro. My bad. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm really happy to see that. What do you think of just the the, the skeleton crew mechanic in the game? Uh, that's that's fun. I'm, it's a welcome relief. I um, haven't actually gone on to one of their ships, but I think you have. Oh, yes. So yes, I have. Is there any kind of like challenges? Like do they fight you when you're on the ship? Yes, they do. Oh. So there's like a ton of them there. Like not just like if you had your own ship, it'd be like just a, a skeleton crew, Russ. Oh, oh, I see what you did there. Okay. So if you get on the skeleton ship, there's like 30 of them and they're all waiting to like, you know, repair and, you know, man the cannons and do all this stuff. So when you get on there, they all like, look at you. <laughs> like, ah! And so you have to kind of run away and, uh, you know, part of them, Part of the crew still has to fight the crew or you guys who mm-hmm. are shooting at the ships and the other free skeletons are all, all chase after you. But I ran down there with a barrel and I'm like, you're trying to get them all to chase me. And of course, I basically committed pirate suicide. But um, <laughs> yeah, you and Nick. Yeah, Nick was doing it too. But when at one point, the first time I, I jumped on there, mm-hmm. I was just slicing and dicing the skeletons who were repairing their ship. So I was slowing the repair process sure. down. Uh-huh. That, that's effective. Yeah, I was curious about that. Like, if you could have, like, at least one person from your ship be able to go over and just kind of be a distraction right. and slow stuff down, I think that that would probably have a pretty large detrimental effect yeah. against them staying as long as they typically stay afloat. Yeah. So that's cool. I'll have to try that out next time we're playing Sea of Thieves and actually be the one to jettison myself over there because I would like to see just what it looks like. I imagine it's basically just a bunch of skeletons on a ship and they're doing their thing, but... It, for the longest time, it's like I'm not used to seeing yeah. skeletons actually on a ship. So, and I think the other problem too is uh, not about well, the other problem, but one of the the problems that I have recently realized is just because we have been on vacation, we've missed out on some of the opportunities because I think there are different factions of these different skeleton crews, which I think like certain ones will have certain cursed cannonballs that they shoot over. Like I know one of them, if, if it hits your ship, it causes your crew to fall asleep for 10 seconds or something. Another one causes your sails to all of a sudden get rolled up. Um, there's another one that actually I had when I it was just me in a sloop and I wanted to try it out myself. They actually have cannonballs that would come in and if it hit you, it would cause you to vomit profusely for like <laughs> a certain amount of time. <laughs> So anyway, I, I don't know if that is per like on a per skeleton gang or crew basis or if it's randomized. I I have no idea. I don't know. <laughs> is there anything else, Steve? 
No, but you know what? It seems like the some of the apps that I've got on my Xbox, like Pandora and and uh, YouTube and stuff. Mm-hmm. Ever since the latest Xbox update, everything, all my apps were like not working. Like the Xbox I mean, app or what? No, 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 no. The apps within, like, so you can get apps within the Xbox. Like, you can get a GoPro app. You oh, can right, get YouTube right. app or whatever, whatnot. Especially, so, like, my, my Pandora, like, won't even load, period. Like, it's... I Weird. Uninstall. I mean, it, the, the P comes up. Yeah. And it's like, okay, it's loading. And then, like, 10 minutes later, the P is still there. I'm like... <sighs> We got a problem. <laughs> so I'll turn it off and route them again, and it's still there. The YouTube constantly like logs me out, mm. so I have to re-sign in, re-sign in, re-sign in. It won't just keep my history, right? Um, so yeah, something's something it's stirring the Kool Aid, Russ. Hopefully that'll get fixed. I mean, sometimes if Microsoft has some sort of large OS update for their Xbox, sometimes the third parties are a little late in terms of getting their apps updated. It's no different than like if you're on an iPhone, iOS, and they have a new iOS update that goes through. And then as a result, you have all these people scrambling, trying to get their application compatible with the latest version of iOS or Windows or whatever it is. I have faith, Steve. Don't mm. you worry. Is there anything else? No, I think that's it, Russ. What yeah. do you get out to? I saw you were playing Star Wars Battlefront. Uh, what was it, last night? I did jump into some Star Wars Battlefront 2 um, just a little bit. I'm still making my way through the single-player campaign of that. I actually have not even played the, the multiplayer version of that game. I just, like I said, I, I've been kind of ping-ponging back and forth uh, between titles, but I wanted to kind of get that still in a forward motion and... You know, the, the, the single player is not bad. I got to say, it's it's pretty fun. The storyline has me engaged. And I just, I think the the story doesn't last too long. I, that's one of the things I've heard when the complaints was that it's like, yeah, it actually is a pretty decent single player campaign. But then <laughs> all of a sudden it just ends because it's one of those afterthoughts. It wasn't like, hey, we're going to make this thing, this really well thought out and yeah. involved single player campaign. You could tell most of the, the attention went to the multiplayer stuff. But no, that was fun. Um, I also have been playing my uh, Street Fighter V arcade edition on PS4. I bought that game a while back, but really haven't sunk my teeth into it. And uh, one of the neat surprises that I discovered is that within um, the game, the Street Fighter V Arcade Edition, they actually include all five Street Fighter games, which is really cool. On top of that, it's not just like, oh, here's like the retro Street Fighter II game from, you know, 1995 or whenever it was released. Um, they actually use the same graphics engine as what Street Fighter V is used with, but they what they've done is they've actually recreated all the skins of the characters from, like, say, for instance, Street Fighter II, and they've also recreated all the environments that you've come to know and love from the Street Fighter II game. So that's actually really cool to actually see all that stuff instead of it being like the, the old-school retro pixel art. Now it's, like, fully realized 3D textured and everything else, but all the, the background characters are moving the exact same way and... You have the same, like, like Guile stage is still that F-14 Tomcat in the back. And Sonic, boom. Exactly. So it was a lot of fun. I played as Vega. I uh, was just having fun actually through Street Fighter 2. I wasn't even playing through the Street Fighter 5 part of it. And the game itself actually has a lot of game modes that Capcom has introduced over the last year. And so it's a, it's a pretty deep fighting game, all things considered, just in terms of like just the sheer number of things to do and how you want to fight that sort of thing, which is encouraging because 
there seems to be kind of this trend with fighting games these days. Like Injustice 2, for instance, was a very involved, very deep fighting game. Lots of characters to unlock. They kept dropping new characters. And just even the combat mechanics were just really fun to kind of get to grips with. You ever play the Ninja Turtles? I did, yeah, for Injustice 2. Mm-hmm. I did indeed. Nice. <clears throat> I actually need to get back to that game as well because there's still a ton. I mean, like, well, the crazy thing about the the command list or moves list in Injustice 2 is that there are so many different types of combos you can do in there that when I have a good grasp on one of the characters, oftentimes I'll forget most of what that character is capable of doing when I move to another character and try and master that character. And so, I mean, that, that's a good thing because obviously it's not a shallow fighting game, but it is a challenge in the sense it's like, man, like, there are a lot of characters in this game and really I'm only kind of ping-ponging between about four different characters because I simply cannot remember how to do my juggle systems and everything else with these other characters. Street Fighter is a little different in the sense that like they have their own moves list, obviously, and then the way they they fight and they have the, I think it's called like the V-trigger or whatever, but... Anyway, I'm having fun kind of making my way through and exploring and, and finding out how to be a somewhat decent fighter in that particular game. I also started playing, well, first of all, I went by GameStop <laughs> and I realized I, I needed to get caught up on my Nintendo Switch titles. So I actually bought four new titles, uh, some of which have been released uh, for a while now. So I got Mario Odyssey, which came out last year, if you remember. I also bought an independent game called Dead Cells, which got a 9.5 out of 10 from IGN. And also our good old friend Brad is currently playing that, and he speaks very highly of it. So ah. it's like, okay, well, I'm going to pick that one up. Take a little look -see. I also got, I think it's called Kirby's Allies. I believe there may be a word in there that I'm forgetting, but that is the game that I actually sat down with my lovely daughter and actually started playing. And it's a really, I mean, surprise, surprise, a Nintendo title that is charming. Get out of here. That's basically what it is. But she was really enjoying that. And actually I was having fun with it as well. Look forward to getting used to it. The, the whole concept is like you can make these friends with the enemies in the game and then based off of that, then you can share the the, the, the enemies' abilities. So then you have the abilities. And it's, it's actually pretty cool. And then you can have, I think, up to like three buddies that follow you along and help you fight through the level and stuff. It's I mean, in terms of like originality, it's actually pretty cool. Promotes sharing. Absolutely. And then the fourth game, which I think you may actually really dig. Ooh. Octopath Traveler. It's an RPG. Ooh, J hey. RPG. Okay. I, I played about 10 seconds of it when I was visiting Sean. Uh, and I was just like, whoa, I got to get my hands on this. This is this looks pretty cool. So anyway, plenty of gaming to be had. I still have not beaten Breath of the Wild. I'm making my way through that. But what's cool is that in my lovely little handy dandy switch travel case, the part that actually has the room for the little cards, little gaming mm. cards. I'm, I finally actually have some that are getting filled in. So it actually looks somewhat respectful. You're going to have to You're going to have to use that. Coming up soon here, Ross. I am indeed. <laughs> you know, one of the things I just recently, not even recently, I just literally now realized. <laughs> I just thought of myself, 
thinking about this two days ago, but then I just thought about it now <laughs> that I remember that. It, okay, I'm just going to say there was a big event that occurred when you were uh, leaving Canada that uh, you have not disclosed on this show, Steve. Yeah, I uh, have not disclosed it yet, Russ. Mm. Mm-hmm. Do you want to maintain it? As disclosed or undisclosed? I'm going to go undisclosed at this moment, Russ, until I find out some more things that uh, need to happen first. Well, the mystery shall remain a mystery. (laughs) That'll keep them coming back. What's going to happen with Steve? Find out next time. No, I don't know. (laughs) I have also played... Horizon Zero Dawn's DLC, Frozen Wild. I've been trying to get my way through that. I've been making my way slowly. Wild. Slowly but surely. And it's been so fun. The only bummer is I've been spoiled once again after visiting Sean. You know, he has the the amazing 65-inch 4K ultra high-definition OLED TV. Oh, yeah. (sighs) And he had the PS4 Pro, and he was playing Horizon Zero Dawn, and... After being exposed to that beautiful masterpiece, coming back to 1080p, man, I'm telling you, it is starting to look dated. I, I am. I never thought I would say that about 1080p. The time has come, Steve. No, it hasn't, Russ. It's uh, it's it, it's past its prime. <laughs> we need to be able to uh, make the jump to 4K. So perhaps early next year, once uh, Christmas is done with and. If I'm lucky enough to get a bonus, I'll be able to get a little something, something. You know, this is is straight pretty far from our podcast, but if you buy something (laughs) on Black Friday or right before Christmas, Russ, Mm -hmm. there's typically a lot of sales. That's very true. You ought to do your research ahead of time. I should indeed. And I kind of, I've started it a bit, you know, I'm, I'm interested in, in investing in a uh, 4K projector for the media room. Good luck with that. We'll have to see how that all shapes out. 4K projector or YouTube camera? That's right. Hmm. 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 Priorities. <laughs> anyway, it's been fun to be able to make my way farther through the frozen wild. Once again, I'm just kind of like playing this game for a little bit and then I go to this game and I play for a little bit and then I go to this game and I play for a little bit. It's really Meanwhile, fun. my games uh, I've let you borrow are collecting dust. <laughs> <laughs> I need to uh, get back to those as well. Yeah. If for nothing else, to be able to return those titles back to you. It's right. just, it's, it's the social etiquette thing to do, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Let me think here. Oh, another thing is that speaking of Horizon Zero Dawn, you know, or I should say, as you know, I've been on a bit of a art of binge lately. Actually, coming back from Reno, I've been inspired a lot more, and um, it's no surprise that I, I bought, especially from last week's episode, I mentioned I bought the art of Castlevania Lords of Shadow. Mm-hmm. I also purchased the art of Dishonored 2. Uh-huh. And I had purchased the art of Metal Gear Solid 1 through 4. So if I put an art of me out, would you buy that one too, Russ? Yes, I would. Mm. Let's stare at that all day. Oh, that's creepy. But anyway, I have decided to continue this tradition, and I found the art of Horizon Zero Dawn. Oh, boy. So I had... Don't... Oh, boy, that. Sorry. That's a gorgeous (laughs) time. Oh, boy! (laughs) 
<laughs> bump on a pickle over here. It is uh, an enjoyable look through. I would, if I had to grade that particular art book, I would give it a solid B. The reason I wouldn't give it an A is that it's not, it's missing some of the orthographic views that I've come to expect within the art of books in terms of just having the front view, side view, back view, top view, that kind of sort of thing with all the different characters. If you have like a bestiary or creature size chart or something to that effect, like a lot of the, the imagery you see in there is good, but it's more of the fully fleshed out matte painting type of uh, polished work. And I wanted to see a bit more of the kind of behind the scenes kind of stuff in there. So not as, uh, in my opinion, not uh, as amazing as, say, the Metal Gear Solid art of books or the art of Castlevania Lords of Shadow. But that's just one man's opinion. You can take it or leave it. <laughs> now, also, earlier this week, and Steve has already seen this, I received a commission from Mr. Omar Dogen, who I'm a big fan of. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with his work, he is a concept artist slash character artist that has worked on Udon. In fact, he still works on Udon. And he's worked for um, the Street Fighter II titles. And he's been, I, I believe he's been involved also with like some of the Darkstalker stuff. But anyway, reached out to him and uh, he was kind enough to create for me a Overwatch Tracer character, which turned out beautifully, don't you think? I think so. Now, I, I got to ask you, though, why why Tracer? So my, pl well, okay, first of all, with Tracer, Tracer has always kind of been like the flagship character for Overwatch. I mean, every- Why not Hammond, Russ? Ham oh, believe me, <laughs> Hammond is coming. Let me okay. tell you, I'm a huge fan of that character design. Okay, go ahead. Anyway, my original plan is I'd like to be able to start out just kind of one at a time as his schedule allows, be able to- have him work on certain characters from Overwatch. And then, um, of course, also as the budget allows too. But um, my plan is, is I'd like to get several of the characters um, drawn by him just because, like I said, I'm a huge fan of his art style. I think he, especially when it comes to drawing um, characters that are kind of like almost anime influenced in a way, but not, I mean, he, he has just a, a terrific style to the way he draws the characters. Also his rendering techniques are amazing. I actually went on to gum road and I, I bought a, a few of his tutorials just to take a look at his process. And it's fantastic the way he's able to merge both uh, markers with colored pencil. And it just, it, I mean, you saw the results speak for themselves. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's a beautiful piece of work. So I was very excited to see that. I can't wait to get it matted and framed. And really, I hope that his schedule opens up because I think starting next week, I think he's got uh, a bunch of Udon assignments that he has to get done. But this man looks forward to seeing more opportunities to be able to throw that guy some money. I'd like to see him draw a Widowmaker. That was one of the ones that I had talked to him about. Originally, I would talk to him about uh, doing uh, Tracer, Sombra, Widowmaker, Diva, and Mercy. Mercy, mercy me. Which I know, you know, Mercy's one of your favorite characters. This is true. What about Winston, Russ? Winston, I have not asked him to do that yet. But again, I don't want to overwhelm the poor man. I want to be able to <laughs> stop giving me money for what I do. <laughs> He's very in demand. He has a very large fan base. I don't want to like be the kind of like crazy obsessed <laughs> fan that monopolizes everything he does. It's not like I draw for a living. Gosh. <laughs> 
but it's going to be nice. Now, I, for one, <laughs> am looking forward to having this like kind of like long standing kind of uh, commission fan artist relationship. With I them. can't stand fans always giving me my asking price. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a little more involved than that, Steve. But I wouldn't expect you to know since you were not an artist. Wow. Okay, Ross. Oh, <sighs> yeah, I know there's a lot of work that goes into it. Yeah, okay, yeah, I get <laughs> I it. I make stick I figures. I know how it goes. Commission nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, shall we start the topic of the day, Steve? Uh, do it, Ross. Alrighty. Bring it on. Okay. Might be a little bit late to say this, but I still care about my hearing. Just so <laughs> you know. Oh man! From my car stereo days, I still have some fibers in my ear that work. So don't um, act like you don't like it, Steve. I know you love it. So our topic of the day is the THX Deep Note. This is a topic that of actually. Yes, it is. <laughs> that is very correct. Um, this is this is a topic that I have been looking forward to talking about simply because it has impacted both of our lives considerably, as well as I'm sure it's impacted several people across the nation and across the globe. Even, and even made it to the Simpsons. It did. Yes. Um, what was I have to give a disclaimer here? Um, it's not really a disclaimer, but it's more like just the the, the reason why that this topic got brought up was actually, I have a, a buddy uh, by the by the name of Nick Goodrich who told me about this other podcast called Twenty Thousand Hertz, and it is dedicated towards sound design. So every episode that they come out with, they have a certain focus on something that that revolves around audio, sound, that sort of thing. So like they have an episode that is dedicated to casinos, for, ex for example, and like just all the different sounds you, you hear when you walk into a casino, that sort of thing. Well, what they did was back in, I believe it was June, they had a two-part feature on the THX Deep Note, and they were able to interview people who were involved with the, cre with the creation of the sound and that sort of thing. It was awesome. It was just like super well thought out, very detailed, just explanation of how the whole thing came to be. And so I highly recommend that if you guys have never checked them out, please do so because they have really done their homework on this whole THX thing. But um, the THX Deep Note was created by Dr. Andy Moore, who was the, uh, the head of the digital audio department of the Lucasfilm Computer Division. Hmm. So there was also another man by the name of Tom Holman who was the engineer tasked with making this endeavor a reality. So Steve. Yeah. To uh, be able to kick things off with this, I thought it would be fun to be able to have um, kind of our take on THX. And I have some um, explanations of THX as well as examples of 
just what is um, THX certified versus what is not and kind of the origin story. And then I thought it'd be fun for us. Uh, I have some questions ready to be able to ask you and I'll, I'll answer them myself as well. Mm, revolve okay. around the THX yeah. thing. But Steve, do you know what exactly is THX? Like what THX stands for? No, just what is THX? Uh, to my knowledge, it's a sound standard. You are correct, good sir. Mm, thank you. Yes. <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, oftentimes I think that there are people who think that there is a particular sound or some sort of um, volume level. Yeah, volume level tra or trademark technology or something like that. It's not a program for encoding or decoding audio. Um, it has nothing to do with how sound is recorded. You could say TXX stands for... Nah, nah, never mind. Nah, it's, 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 I was being stupid. Nah. <laughs> Something sounded good in my head, but it, 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 That's okay. That's all right. Quit while I'm ahead. Well, anyway, THX is... It's all about how a movie is played back to an audience. Um, it's an audio standard for the quality of the speakers, the quality of the acoustics, the quality of the picture... Basically, everything that pertains to a movie-going experience is all wrapped up within this thing called THX. Um, it's a guarantee that what you experience in the theater is precisely what the filmmakers intended, which makes a lot of sense. So, um, the first step to identify how to begin, I believe, involved George Lucas sending a team to scout theaters in San Francisco uh, for the debut of The Empire Strikes Back. And what's crazy is that this was back around 1980. Empire Strikes Back came out in 1980, which means I uh, was one year old and you, uh, I don't believe, was born yet. I was still in a testicle, Russ. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what was interesting was that prior to the THX certifications, um, all the theaters that you would go to really had subpar experiences. I mean, if you think about it, film itself was constantly undergoing uh, like just, just, just a state of improvement where like, you know, back in the super old days, you had pictures that actually, you know, they had a, a live pianist that would play music that would accompany the picture on screen. And then from there you actually had some audio recordings that were embedded with the film they could play. And then you had, uh, voices that were able to be recorded and that sort of thing. But by the time it got to be about around like the sixties and seventies, you know, you had the, the, the theater that people would go to, to watch films, but in terms of having like a standard, there really weren't any at all. And so, um, to give you an idea, like back in 1980, the standard setup was that you have three speakers that was behind the screen. You know, you have a left, a center, and a right. Um, and what was interesting was that George, when he was looking to release The Empire Strikes Back, he was looking at theaters. He, he wanted to see, like, okay, which theater should he make his, his debut in? Because the first Star Wars, A New Hope, was, of course, as we all know, a huge hit. And so he was looking to have a, a quality theater. And uh, so he sent out a team to go around and scout uh, just to see what was what was available in San Francisco. And they were looking at the different old, like, majestic theaters. And they found that uh, when they went to the back where those three speakers are, 
One of the speakers was disconnected. Oh. One of the other speakers had been knocked over. Oh. And then the third speaker had been turned around entirely. So it wasn't even facing the audience. They're just trying to get some like reflection on the, on the walls to fill. Yeah. I have no idea, but I mean, that sounds horrible, man. Um, and so like, if you think about it back in the day, and this is before the THX certifications came into play, I have a list of examples here where, where, um, and, and you may remember some of this from back when we were kids, uh, movie audio acoustics could be heard between the walls separating two movie screens. So you could be sitting in one and hear what's going on in the other. I in remember there. that yeah, tons of times. For sure. Uh, the theater rooms were not properly insulated. So the acoustics were wonky in terms of like, you could you hear the sound coming from certain oddball places, but it didn't exactly match where it should be in relation to where the object was on screen that was emitting a supposed sound. The doors that opened into the theater would let in outside light. And I remember this mm -hmm. a bit too, where like every time someone walked in or out, a portion of the screen was temporarily washed out or you could hear noise coming from the outside lobby. And that would be a detriment to your movie going experience because it would pull you out of the moment, right? Also, theaters didn't have proper insulation for HVAC systems, which of course are like the AC units. So there would be a drone sound when they turn on and that would compromise the immersion of the movie experience. So you have all these different issues going on and, but people didn't know any better because they, that that's just what they came to expect. They go to the theater. That's just what the movie going experience is. Well, you had a, a look on your you, face. You, you go in, you, you hear loud AC and that's, that's, <laughs> that's to be expected. I mean, it's just crazy to think about like just where we used to be and you and I are old enough that we actually were a part of kind of the tail end of that. You and know what's to be expected, Russ? What's that to you? At least back in the day, not so much now, but back in the day, you walk in there, you would sit down, you'd have someone's like overly buttery popcorn still mm -hmm. on the floor with some gum and they're stepped on milk duds and stuff. You're like, uh, this is kind of gross. <laughs> I gotta sit here. It's very sticky. <laughs> or a spilled Coke. And so you walk out, it's like, you're like a foot higher than you were when you walked in. Cause yeah. you had so much stuff like just stuck to your bottom of your shoes. <laughs> yeah. Um, well anyway, George Lucas didn't want to do, um, the, uh, the uh, post-production in Hollywood. So he created his own independent research Institute, which of course um, is known as Skywalker sound. And if you go, if you were to go to Skywalker ranch, that's where Skywalker sound exists to this day, but he wanted to advance kind of the state of the art as it applies to entertainment. And that's actually one of the, the big things about George Lucas in terms of, of what he has done for the public in terms of entertainment, because he's not just a director who did Star Wars or um, produced Indiana Jones, that sort of thing. But he, he really did take his company into this new realm of just making like the optimal movie going experience and being able to, to leverage kind of his celebrityism as well as his forward thinking I mean, even like not to go too far off the track here, but I mean that Pixar was actually originally owned by George Lucas and then he sold that off to like Steve Jobs and the rest is history. But I mean, he's had his hands in a lot of, of just 
really innovative pots, so to speak. So going back to 1980, um, if you wanted, here, here's part of like what George was doing was like, he was still trying to find like, like the best movie going experience. And so what he started to do is that he told places that if you wanted the 70 millimeter first run of star Wars empire strikes back, you had to install Dolby stereo in your theater. <laughs> and so you actually had theaters who began to start that process of upgrading what they offer there, because obviously empire strikes back was a huge deal before it came out. And, um, when return of the Jedi was in production, George told theater operators that in order to show his upcoming movie, they had to get what we all know today as THX certified and return of the Jedi as a result was the first film to be played using THX. It's pretty cool. Here's story there, Rush. You like that? I should teach that in high school. <laughs> <laughs> and now do you know where the name came from originally? Uh, George Lucas. Uh, well, that, that's half right. <laughs> but do you know where- Skywalker Sound. Uh, no. Okay. The name came from George's student film when he was in college called THX 1138, which if you recall, that was also used in Star Wars A New Hope. They, they dropped that little name in there as well. I think I remember that. Yeah, I forgot what that line was. That was, that was ringing a couple of brain bells there, Russ. <laughs> So um, going back to Dr. Andy Moore, um, he created what is known as an audio signal processor or ASP. And what it does is it, it uses arithmetic. And originally these devices were designed to process images. They didn't have the 24-bit audio set up in them, but he like customized one and it was capable of 20 million computations per second which limited the device to doing 30 voices, which is what he could get out of the machine. Is, I mean, this is just fascinating to me. How, how long do you think it took him to create the THX Deep Note? Like days or hours or... It took Andy two years and something like 200,000 lines of code. And again, this is, it's not like today's world where you have all these assistant like programs and stuff that can help you. I mean, he wrote that out. Hmm. So what's interesting is um, in terms of the sound, in fact, let's just listen to the original. This is the original THX sound that we've all come to know and love. Waiting for you to play this. I, I, I hope you were looking forward to it, Steve. I was like, I was sure to play Played it in the beginning, right? It, well, you know, I, I want to be able to, to just leave people salivating, you know. But this is the original sound of the okay, uh, THX. Push, 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 play. Okay, right. All right. And it brings me right back to sitting in the theater with a darkened room. Thinking that a plane is crashing. That sound is so embedded deep into my cerebellum. But they don't play it anymore, though. You know, it's it's interesting that you say that because there have been other audio technologies that have come out, and I think they have different licensing deals with... Like Dolby DTS and stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but let's stick to this here. No, for okay, now. let's stick to let's, it. Let's not get too far okay. off the reservation. Okay. Now, what's interesting is that um, Dr. Moore used a couple of different pieces for inspiration for this. Because, like, apparently George had come to him and said, hey, look, I need you to create some sort of big sound, something that people haven't heard before. This is going to play right into just doing a very quick showcasing of just what it is to be THX certified. And so for inspiration, Andy used the end of a day in the life by the Beatles. Have you heard the song? I'm sure I have. Well, I have it right here. I thought I would play the excerpt. Now I want you to listen to this because you can totally tell where there are certain things that sound similar. So it's going to be sound a little chaotic here. So prepare yourself, Steve. So you can see how like there is a bit of that in there that where we're like, you can say, yeah, I actually can see kind of the catalyst of the THX deep note being in there. Now, the other sound in particular was um, from Bach, actually. I can hear Bach in there. Yeah, 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 yeah I bet you can. <laughs> it, I believe it's from Bach's Toccata and Fugue. Um, and it's that, that classic Oregon sound that everyone knows so well. And at first, you know, he's noodle. <laughs> you know, he's, 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 he's hitting those notes at first back and forth, but it's when it starts to build that all of a sudden you can also tell that, yeah, he's getting inspiration from it. So you can see how like that is part of the foundation of just where he was getting this idea to have the THX sound. And then there came bass. <laughs> so the beginning of the THX deep note, you know, has that kind of uh, almost like mystical, ethereal. It's almost like kind of subwoofery, chaotic kinda. sound. <laughs> In fact, that's kind of what th what the THX deep note really is. At first, it's uh, it's like this kind of mixing of almost random sounds, but then they all kind of come together and unify, and then come into this really cool sound at the end. That shakes your booty as well as your brainy. That's right. Um, and so they called that that first part of it the cluster, <laughs> and. It's produced through a computer which creates the a unique... Why are you laughing? <laughs> Go ahead, Russ. I don't know. I just, yeah. <laughs> you, you just got the random case of the giggles? No, it just sounds like, you know, a cluster. Well, it, I mean, based upon what you heard with the Beatles and then um, <laughs> with the, all the chaos, it does sound like a frigging cluster. <laughs> Good grief. <laughs> well, anyway, this is... I believe this is more of a technical term that where it's produced through a computer which creates... Um, that unique texture of sound that you can't obtain any other way through like the a traditional instrument, that sort of thing. Texture of sound. Yes. 
Because every sound, in fact, doesn't have like a, a certain type of texture to it mm. as, a, as a word of description. I wonder what kind of texture uh, Marty McFly would give for that, Russell. I, I, mm. that's, I have no idea, Steve. Yeah. Questions that need answering. <laughs> so what was interesting about this is that he, he, so he creates this deep note sound. And um, both Gary Rydstrom and Ben Bird. Do you know who these people are? I don't think you probably do. Are these the questions you had for me? No. Okay, I don't know who they are, Russ. Okay, so Gary Rydstrom is one of the OG sound designers at Skywalker Sound. This is the guy who basically every huge movie that you've seen and enjoyed at the theater, he was probably behind. So it doesn't matter if it's like the roaring dinosaurs of Jurassic Park or it's... Did he make the original sound for the Millennium Falcon? I He might have. Mm. I'm not sure if it was him or Ben Burt, uh, but it was one of those two. I'm about 99.99% sure. But anyway, he's, he's done an absolute ton of work. He's an Oscar winner for his uh, sound design. And so, um, and actually, not to go off uh, the, the beaten path here a little bit, but did I ever tell you I met Ben Burt? Oh, he's thinking. Um, I think you did. And I was like, in one year, out the other, you're like, I met Ben Burt. That guy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and it was just, and I'm like, okay, whatever, Russ, name dropper guy, okay, <laughs> name well, dropper guy. No, what happened was I was having lunch at Skywalker Ranch with one of my friends who worked there, and then just out of pure happenstance, at we cafe were Cafe Skywalker. Were you eating there, Russ? Huh? Yeah, they they actually do have a <laughs> cafe there. I know they do. Uh, but anyway, we were literally walking around in the middle of the property. For those of you who have uh, never seen pictures or anything like that, they have this little like small lake pond thing and they call it Ewok Lake. And anyway, we were walking over to, I believe it was the gift shop after we had um, had lunch and Ben Burt was riding a bicycle from one building to the other and had stopped to say, hi, really gracious man, real nice, accessible. And I'm sitting here freaking out because I recognize who he is. This is the guy to give you an idea. Ben Burt is the guy who he created the lightsaber sound. He created the tie fighter sound. I believe he created the millennium Falcon sound. Basically all the sounds you have heard, like in star Wars, Indiana Jones, that sort of thing. It came from this guy too. Basically everything cool. The guy is a pioneer in sound and he's super nice. Just, just super nice guy. And he shook my hand and was just like, oh, yeah, it's nice to meet you. Have you this is your first time here? Today? You know, just really uh, warm and inviting and stuff. It was super cool. You haven't washed that hand since, have you? I have not. Man, knew it. I love it, Ben Burt. <laughs> so anyway, both of these gentlemen at one point or another had come in and listened to the deep note that um, Andy produced and they were both impressed, which caused George to then send other people to Andy's studio to listen to it. This included Ray Dolby of Dolby stereo, as well as Michael Jackson. Nice. And I think there were some other people as well who um, stopped by to listen to it. And every person was just really impressed with just the uniqueness again, it goes back to just no one had ever heard that type of sound before. Didn't Michael give it three chamones? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, now, one other thing that I, I think is 
very interesting about this is that um, the THX deep note setup was programmed to playback randomly every time. So every person who listened to it got a slightly different deep note and was super crazy about this is that um, Dr. Moore only had one recording of the deep note. So when he submitted it for review, that was the only copy. There were no backups. Do you see where I'm going here with this? Steve? Yes, I do. It's very valuable, Russ. As fate would have it. There's a storm that day. They lost it. Oh. <laughs> That's right. The original THX deep note was gone forever. The one that we heard just now, the one that we grew up listening to, that is not the actual like OG deep note at all. And be and due to the setup that Andy put together, it was intentionally designed to be procedural. So it's randomized every time. So what happened was, is that everybody loved it. And then somehow it got lost. And then George comes running back to him going, I need you to redo that same sound. And he's like, uh, guys, guys. <laughs> So it's just crazy because um, he had to spend a significant amount of time trying to replicate that same sound. I mean, he was going through I me. Mean, he, he like click it and it play like, nope, that's not it. Let's try it again. Nope, that's not it. You know, and he's trying to to go into his code and try and, and make it quicker, like in terms of being able to find that that same sound. And apparently, someone had a tape recorder. No, apparently he was able to get close to how the original sounded. But I just, I was fascinated upon learning about this because I, so to me, it's like, I thought there was just a sound they put together and that was it. And that was used as, as part of the marketing for THX. But I mean, isn't that crazy? Like how that whole thing came about. So the rest of course is history in terms of just being able to see what happened to THX after it was shown with Return of the Jedi. Now, the fun questions for you, Steve. Yes. What is your earliest memory of experiencing the THX Deep Note? Oh, boy. Um, uh, I would... Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, um, I am almost thinking it was... Well... Uh, it's probably not it, but this is the first thing that comes to mind is uh, when Independence Day came out in the theater. Okay, that was 1995. Yeah. I'm trying to think what I saw that was really uh, THXy. Sorry, that was a dear old dad just calling in. Uh, it's fine. Everybody knows your ringtone is. That's okay. <laughs> but yeah, I think that was it because I remember when all the. FA-18s were flying in and they were shooting missiles and they were whizzing by all they're like, what's going on? It's coming over here. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so I, I remember with that movie, I'm trying to think what movie else I saw in the theater with it earlier than that. I don't know. I don't know. Do you remember uh, what the animation looked like? What do you mean the anim? Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, with the uh, the kind of the blue kind of neon sort of border around the entire screen that slowly faded in with the music as mm -hmm. the sound that faded in, and then the THX faded in, and then once the whole thing had its crescendo, you see all the THX and it fades out, and then 
movie begins. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and then they had some play stuff where they had the little THX man and he was mm-hmm. like hammering on the thing and they had a bunch of cows at one point mm-hmm. and, uh, and then you didn't see THX anymore. Yeah, and there are actually more. Um, I did some research on that and there are um, other animations of it as well. But um, yeah, and, and what Steve is referring to is... Um, I, I, I kind of look at it as kind of the THX Pixar man, even though he's not Pixar, but still it was around that time period where like a lot of the CG was coming into its own and, uh, it kind of sounds a little bit like, uh, this. he was flying around basically and so you heard him in the center you heard him in the front right front left rear right rear left all that good jazz and so that's basically what all the sound effects were were for that's right uh-huh. very good Steve indeed so the earliest I remember was I believe it was 1986 and we went to go see Flight of the Navigator I remember seeing Flight of the Navigator but I don't, I don't remember seeing THX so what was interesting was that the THX animation that they had playing was actually very different than the standard one that you described where it like has like kind of like that blue neon rectangle and it says the audience is listening and then THX logo comes in there. This one had a conductor's hand. Do you remember this? Uh, yes, I do. And it goes, so it sounded like this where... You saw a little tiny square and a conductor's hand with a, with a little stick comes up and then goes down real fast and you go into this wormhole. Right. And then all of a sudden you saw those red, like, sparkly firefly things and the THX logo is coming right at you. That's my favorite. Yeah. I like that one. And then right here's where it says the audience is listening. Right, that bell sounds beautiful. That, that really, I mean... It's beautiful, Russ. I, I have chills on my arms right now listening to that. Because I remember back when we went to go see Fly of the Navigator, at that point in time, I was seven years old. And that means you were five. <laughs> and being in a theater and seeing that spectacle of just the THX logo animation... I mean, seriously, like, like <laughs> to a kid, I mean, it, regardless to if you're an adult, no one had ever seen something like that. And again, that was produced by um, the folks over at Lucasfilm. And it was just, I don't know, like, like to me, like it was, it was something that would never had been experienced before, whether it's, you know, the visuals or the audio, that sort of thing. But it was so cool because it, it basically was an exciting time to be a movie goer because you saw the leaps that were being produced as a result of George's obsession over making sure that they had an optimal 
or optimal movie going experience that was very close to what the filmmakers intended when they are in their like, you know, multi-million dollar mixing studios and that <laughs> sort of thing. But yeah, I, I'm, I totally agree. That one there, that is my hands down favorite version of the THX logo because I feel like it captures the magic of why you go to the movies. Exactly. You know, it's funny. I remember, you remember that because, you know, you had two years on me. But I remember the theater that we went to. We went to the Marin County yeah. Theater in the mall. I yeah. remember seeing one of the older like horror film uh, posters that was up. I forgot what it's kind of like a fat, uh, hairy dude with like a, a really large uh, mouth with small teeth. I can see him in my mind, but I forgot what the name of the movie was. If I have, we ever go to like another blockbuster, if there's ever one around, I could point it out to you. I can probably Google it. But anyway, I remember that thing. Some of the other movie posters that were up. The mall sitting in theater, the whole entire movie of Flight and Navigator, but I don't remember that, that THX. I remember that until later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that left a, a lasting impression. Also, the movie, Flight of the Navigator, that was a great movie a back great in the day. Flick. Yes. Such a classic 80s film. Great movie. Dealt with the future. Dealt with choice. Well, it was, I mean, that wasn't really like a, an 80s movie. Like, a, The Goonies is like a good 80s movie. Yeah. Flight of the Navigator is an awesome story. Like, Period. If, if you like a family sci-fi flick, the, the Flight of the Navigator is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's... it. We should watch it again. Oh, we should, Ross. I know. <sighs> <laughs> Such a good time thinking about this stuff. Now, let's see here. Which movies do you think provide or provided the best THX experience. Hmm. Let me run through them all, Russ. Hmm. Good <laughs> grief. Um, maybe I can give you some ideas. Down upon thee with one point twenty one. Okay. Definitely Sam Jackson. Nah. <laughs> Pulp Fiction man, THX. Woo, he heard everything. <laughs> when he stabs her in the heart with that syringe, oh man, you really felt it. Um no, I mean, that's just a small taste of like how many movies have enjoyed the THX treatment. Right. Now, now I can remember Lord of the Rings. Definitely. I mean, when that, the ring, when Bilbo drops mm, the ring. That's a good one. Whew. Uh, so yeah, that one, um, definitely episode, you know, Star Wars episode one. Yeah. Uh, let's see. But yeah. So what about you? Oh man, that's a doozy. It's tough. I've I've been racking my brain over this. Definitely Jurassic Park is one of them. Where like when that film came out in 1993, which if you think about it, that was the 10-year anniversary of THX being used since it first got started in 1983. And the sounds that were just coming out. I mean, I remember being blown away by just I remember they made the news. 
Yeah, well, they had like like news segments on like, well, how'd you get that sound? Right, That's amazing. And again, going back to Gary Rydstrom, like he was the one who really just put all those crazy dinosaur sounds together. Of course, I think Ben Burt may have had some um, some influence in that as well. But I mean, Gary Rydstrom really did spearhead a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, Jurassic Park is definitely one of the big ones. I didn't even think about Lord of the Rings, but that's a big one too. Yeah, Jurassic Park. I remember when was Jurassic Park out? What? What? When, when, when was that movie released? It was released in the theaters in 1993. Yeah, I remember walking out of the theater like, oh man, is a dinosaur going to get me? Yeah, is there a raptor in the other room? Yeah, get me while I walked the car. Yeah, I remember that too. I also remember Independence Day actually had quite a few it cool did. sounds. In I fact, know. I would say if you grew up in the 90s, one of the, the most talked about moments in the film is actually not one that's visual. It's that audio cue. Remember when that, remember when Jeff Goldman goes over to that uh, political guy or military guy or whatever and asks him to shoot the can that he placed there? Yeah. And when he shot yeah, it, right. you could have swore the can landed behind the audience in the theater. And I'm telling you, anyone who's seen that movie who saw it in the theater always talks about that as, as one of like the, the defining kind of audio moments in cinema, which is pretty cool if you think about it. Yeah. Well, I think what people don't expect when they go to the movies is the sound to be up to par. Right. Because most of the time when you go to the movies, it's, oh, I want to see it on the big screen. Oh, you got to see Titanic on the big screen. Right. But they 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 don't necessarily talk about the audio. But uh if you're like nowadays for example, you can go to a movie and it might be DTT D, man, I swear. <laughs> DTS? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it might be XYZ. So, but oftentimes the sounds really not that great until you watch the movie back, you know, at your own house with your own speakers and whatnot. Um no one ever really talks about the sound. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a good point. And actually, um, I'm glad that you brought that up just because as an artist, I truly do believe that <laughs> 50% of the experience is audio. As an artist. As an artist, yes. But no, seriously, like I think audio oftentimes gets overlooked because people are so just, they're, they're so enamored by what they're seeing visually that they're not realizing how much of an impact the audio has. And audio really is 50% of the experience. You take that away and suddenly one of your senses is not being leveraged. Of course. And actually sound can be used in such a way where also to a certain extent anyway, it can affect more of your sense of touch as well. Like if you have a rumbling bass and you feel that, or there's like a high pitch kind of sound or whatever, there are the sound waves themselves um, can actually affect your, your, your touch sensory. And so that's, something to not be overlooked as well. Um, I did have a question on here, which take THX logo animation is your favorite. I think we've already answered that with uh, the conductor. I, I call yeah. it THX conductor. There you go. How in your words, Steve, how would you describe the sound of the THX deep note? Like if someone who had not seen it before or excuse me, not heard it before, how would you describe the sound? The importance of bass. Literally would, because you know, I've been in, I've sold home theater, I've sold Carfi, and people have this connotation 
of bass as just the homies bumping in their low rider sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And they don't know how important bass is. And then you go, okay, well, let me just show you one of your favorite scenes out of a movie. Mm. Let me show you Top Gun on THX, the, just the beginning five minutes. And then everyone has goosebumps and they're like, oh my gosh, that was incredible. I, what do I need to get to get that? Well, you need to have... You said bass. There you go. Yeah, I know exactly. I can picture this in my mind. That was the one where you had like this marble mm-hmm. and then it got struck down into like a, quite a few different pieces and then they all went to like liquid metal and then, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, actually Bose, what they did is they they understood that no one liked the word subwoofer because again, it had these bad connotations to it. And so they called it just a base module mm. that you could hide somewhere in your room. And then the base, and it was a huge sub basically but they had little jewel speakers that sound very nice jewel speakers yes and you put them in you know just inconspicuously around the house and then you would play your your music and you would have a lot of highs and then a lot of lows and everybody went oh Bose is amazing you hear the bass you know the jacks well that's because <laughs> of the bass that's why it's important and when you go to the movies if you have a, a train you have an airplane you have an explosion you know gunfire um, or even someone who's walking with a lot of weight, thump, 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 thump. Mm-hmm. You need the bass. Yeah. Which is partly why it's so good. Even if you if you have just a, a, a 2.1 system, something small, beyond what your TV speakers can do. Because if you turn up the TV speakers, it's those speakers are about the size of a dime. Yeah. And they might stick like three or four of them in there you're not going to get any bass out of them. And that it's kind of like on the TV when you're, you're thumbing through the audio settings, like, Oh, Trump, the bass, like that's, that's not going to do anything. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, you're doing yourself a disservice without having any kind of, of bass reproduction in your sound system. Yeah. Very true. <clears throat> I'm trying to think of how I would describe the THX deep note. I mean, really what's interesting is, um, the millennial generation, I've noticed that there have been a certain grouping of them that are actually scared of it. They're, they actually have a phobia. There's a known, there's a title, I think, out there where it's a phobia of the THX deep note, which kind of surprised me. But I, it's interesting, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but I love how otherworldly the THX deep note is where you just, you are being for someone like myself. I'm uh, of course you already know this, but I'm just this, this huge movie buff. I love going in. I love being told a great story and I love doing that in a theater that just has the best of the best equipment. Everything is, is just triple a. And I have always been, had a huge affinity for the THX brand. I think that also goes into play too, just simply because I've always um, been into special effects. I've always um, been fascinated with Lucasfilm and just how they do stuff in industrial light and magic and Skywalker sound. Um, I've always wanted to work there, but that never actually happened because probably because I wasn't good enough because <laughs> you have these tremendously talented, crazy skilled people that work there and every fanboy alive wants to work there 
They oh, yeah. To sift through 500 million applications. It's, it's just insane. But coming from a background of just being a huge gamer, huge movie guy, I've actually worked in the games industry. So, and we, we too, in the games industry, we have um, dedicated audio departments where you have sound designers and audio engineers working on producing original content for the game that you're working on, the music, that sort of thing. So there is this, this ongoing respect for it. And what I love about the THX Deep Note is that when we would see it or hear it come on, um, I, f- I, for one, felt like I was being transported from my daily grind into this movie that I'm about to watch. And the THX experience was kind of like that transitionary period. It's almost, I don't know, it's, it's just bizarre how like, like you're, you're being warped into this this time of just being entertained and, and being told a great story and being thrilled, so to speak. And it was but it's cool because it's you know it starts out as kind of like I said, like almost like these these um, sounds of, of kind of a chaotic nature and then somehow they're able to interweave and um, come together and unify into this, this one big climax or crescendo, which is very reminiscent of course, of um, the, the examples that, that I played earlier that Dr. Moore used as, as inspiration or reference. And um, it's just the culmination. It's like this culmination of, of like the state of the art, science, mathematics, technology, but also art just all coming together and producing something that is going to be, hopefully a memorable experience for uh, the, the, the audience. So, and I like, I've always liked the, the slogan too. the audience is listening. I feel like it's just, it's, it just gets a point, the cross of what it's, is, is it's supposed to do, but at the same time mentioning the importance of don't overlook sound. Now it's just the importance of keeping your cell phone off. Yes. Which <laughs> apparently I have failed miserably at. <laughs> uh, the final question I have is um, for you, Steve, is why is THX important to you? Well, Russ, it's important because it's important to have good sound. I mean, if, you, if, you're, if you're the director and you're making a movie and you were paying millions of bucks for it to sound a certain way, are you just going to be satisfied with little dime-sized speakers in a TV? Or are no. you going to be satisfied with 5.1, 7.1, 8.1, 10.1, 10.2? Uh, <laughs> Is that what they're up to now? I, yeah. Uh, theater where, okay, if you wanted to be as close as possibly could to this other world, to this other story, realm, whatever you want to call it, you would hear stuff behind you. You would hear stuff in front of you. You would hear stuff on both sides. Mm-hmm. And it would be uh, crystal clear, as crystal clear as you can make it. Um, and I think that's that's the importance of it is because if you want to sum everything up, you go to the movies to be entertained, not to feel like it's more of the daily grind. Yeah. And so if you want to be transported, the sound is actually what immerses you. It's not the picture. The picture is just uh, on a sixty, you know, sixty-five inch TV mm-hmm. or thirty-two inch TV or whatever you have. So you have, you're, you're seeing the rest of your house. You're seeing the rest of your room that you're in, whatever it is. So you're not fully transported with just the picture, right? 
the sound is all around you. The sound comes from six to 10 meters away from you, you know, depending on where your couch is and relative, you know, to, your, to mm-hmm. where the speakers are placed. So the sound is all around you. That's your virtual world. Yeah. Yeah. I, when I, when I think of what makes THX important in my eyes, the friends I have that are sound designers or audio engineers, it's amazing to be able to go into their world because my world is predominantly visual. I work more on the design side of things. I work more on the art side of things. So when I am able to go into the studio of someone who works in sound, I'm like a kid in the candy store because I don't know all the ins and outs. It's I'm not some sort of sound expert. I've dabbled in sound design. I have enough of um, an understanding to be able to do some, some rather straightforward things, but I'm no expert in terms of how these people actually strategize to have their rooms be optimized for, for audio. And it's, it's just great because I just sit there just absolutely amazed. Not even like when I'm in the theater watching, I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about like if I'm in someone's studio and when you walk in, you can instantly tell as soon as the door closes that there is a different quality of sound in the room in terms of like how, the, the reverb has been completely manipulated and mastered in a way that they want it to be. And like how, if you were to like clap your hands in the room or snap your fingers or something, it's the, it does not emit the same way it does in an average setting. And I've always appreciated that because there is a lot of technicality that's involved with it. There is mathematics and, and science that is, that is, um, very much involved with it in terms of making it a, a successful setup. But what I think is truly cool, and this is the part where I nerd out most about it, is the fact that all of this science, all of this math, all of these things that you, that normally um, I don't necessarily like think of, it's all designed around producing sound art. And I think that that's super cool because when you push that into more of the theater going experience, that is the opportunity for the general public to be able to experience what that is kind of like when you walk into theaters nowadays. I mean, it's, it's amazing to see the journey that theaters have taken, even in our lifetimes, where we started out in kind of more of the dingy rundown theater, but people just went there because, again, they didn't know any better. They didn't know of anything that, that was different. And then looking at how film as a whole is this constantly evolving platform. The medium itself is constantly improving. I mean, even even in today's world where the film itself is no longer really film so much as it's more of a digital setup. I mean, we're, we're, we're almost making the transition away from using like 35 millimeter film and going into a completely different classification of how you record a movie. So there's a lot that is constantly changing. And part of that is what makes it exciting. It's exciting to be, even if you're not involved in the industry, just seeing the, the results that come out of it. I mean, it's definitely going in a direction where, you know, your, your picture quality is constantly improving. Your audio quality is constantly improving and the theaters themselves are constantly improving as well. I mean, IMAX is becoming more and more of kind of the, the defecto or de facto premium standard, if you will. 
And I really do think that probably within the next, I would say 10 years, maybe 10 to maybe 10 to 15 years, I'm, I think that we're going to start to see more of the IMAX screens having a presence at your local theater simply because that's becoming more of the expected standard that people want to ex- experience those movies with where they have the huge screen. I mean, who knows how many speakers are in those things, but it's just a, I don't know. I, I have a lot of gratitude toward George Lucas as well as Dr. Andy Moore and Gary Rydstrom and Ben Burt, you know, all these different people who strived to introduce us to something that's really magical. That's that, that just in terms of, of what is possible and causes one to even think, well, what, what can we do? that's even better than that. And I think that we have seen that with other companies that have come forward with their own type of sound systems and audio standards, that sort of thing. And I think that that's something that's, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's just super cool. It always puts a smile on my face. And, and to your point, I mean, I don't really see the THX logo right. animations occur anymore. It was kind of a thing that started back in the early eighties. And then I, I think it probably, um, slowed down once it got into the two thousands, but I will have, you know, that, um, they brought um, Dr. Moore back in to remaster his THX Deep Note, which I want to play for you right now. I just think that is so neat of them to bring him back in and ask him to remaster what he originally did. And he went in and like did all his stuff and he, and he's an old gentleman now. I mean, the guy I think is, he's gotta be in his sixties or seventies. Did he make one, more than one copy this time? Rose? I hope he did. He's like, okay, this is it. It's only you one USB <laughs> stick. That's all I'm giving you. <laughs> Guard it. With your life. But can you tell it just... Yeah. I mean, dude, that that sounds even better. And that was actually released in 2015. So good for him. So you don't really see THX, at least we don't out here, anywhere in the theater. I mean, maybe it's there, maybe it's not, but at least they don't tell you you're in the THX theater. I have seen it as plaques. Like if you are about to walk into a theater and you look next to the door, there will be a plaque that says THX certified. I'm almost wondering if they did it that way and took all the animations out because people were a little oversaturated with THX. I think that that is a possibility. Partly because that with some of the animations, it was cute in the beginning and then it started to kind of wear thin. And people sure. were like, okay, I'm starting to, whatever. But being with the uh, audio equipment side, when we were selling cables and amplifiers and whatever and whatnot, it'd always be labeled THX, and you, or not always, but I mean, some of the equipment was and some of the cables were, and they charged a premium for it. Mm-hmm. Not everybody is going to have, I mean, 1% is going to have a THX quality system in their house, but no one really wanted to pay for the premium just to have some RCA hookups or an amplifier that did 5.1 THX if they just went, okay, here's 500 bucks for five speakers. You sure. know, you're not going to get the THX experience, but 
I think when people saw the animations and then they saw the premiums for the, I think it started to kind of wear a little thin. So they just, THX went, okay, we're still the sound, st- the sound standard. Man, I can't talk tonight, Russ. It's okay, Steve. Slap me in the face. <laughs> so I, I think they still are the, the sound standard, but that's probably why they have the plaque there instead of all this, you know, in your face type stuff. Yeah. Well, did you have any other comments or? No, that was my closing comment. All right. Well, I think that wraps up this episode of Joygasm. Make sure you tune in next week. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm and pledge a buck a month for exclusive and early access to the show. Also, you can follow us on social media and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. In addition to iTunes and Android, you can listen to our podcast on TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Spotify, and SoundCloud.com slash joygasm TV. Last but not least, search Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. We'll see you next week. <laughs>